Good evening, John. Good evening, Rob. <clears throat> sorry about that. Oh, no, uh, I'm sorry. You're going to have to listen to my daughter, who's on um, full chat alert on the uh, on the old monitor. <laughs> well, that's all right. If you like uh, doing this in front of a live studio audience. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, one uh, what a dog and a three year old. <laughs> <laughs> it sort of sums us up, really, doesn't it? It's kind of end of the pier, isn't it? How are you? Uh, I'm all right. How are you feeling? Yeah, not too bad. Should um, we introduce the show before we talk about our uh, our health issues? Uh, welcome to North v South, the podcast about, but not about, design. This is episode 51, and it's me, Rob Turpin, and John Elliman. Good evening, John. Hello. So, yes, health issues. Uh, I've two wisdom teeth out yesterday so i'm feeling a little delicate today a bit bruised a bit a bit swollen a bit chip monkey um but yeah not, not too bad I, th- I thought i'd feel worse to be honest it was quite brutal i think at one point there was three people trying to wrestle a tooth out of my mouth <laughs> which was mildly disturbing and uh <clears throat> for all the advances in in medicine it it remains uh entirely medieval <laughs> yeah the teeth extraction doesn't it have you ever taken um skirting off off a wall and then you get those you know those <laughs> clasp no, no, uh, the the um the clasp nails that you get yeah. the big ones that's yeah. what it's like trying to get one of those out it is yeah just like that and you're completely numb but all you can hear is cracking yeah, and Very, pushing but, and yeah. pulling. It's really strange. A dentist with his foot on your chest. <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, so now obviously I've got all the feeling back in my face. I can kind of poke around and feel all the bruises on the inside of my cheek and where he was kind of gripping it and pulling it. So yes, uh, terrible experience, but I'm sure I'll be the better for it. <laughs> How are you? Uh, yeah, I'm fine. Um, I am home alone, so uh, it's a bit fraught. And uh, I managed, I've torn a calf muscle on a run oh. uh, at lunchtime and limped my way home. Um, I have to say, I've, it's uh, quite painful. Yeah. I think I've... Were you, were you overdoing it? Had you not stretched? <laughs> well, I really do. No, I wasn't. I hadn't overdone it and it was only a short run. I was, you know, but it's just old age, I think. Yeah. Uh, incredibly uncomfortable, I have to say, especially trying to herd a small child around the house. Yeah. Um, I'll share some running news with you. <laughs> Go on then. I've, I've entered the ballot for the London Marathon. Get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> I have. Uh, have for done, people who don't know me. Have you done much I, running? I don't run. I haven't run since 1988, I don't think. Um, so no, but I've got a year. So there's a challenge. I like a project. What, a year to complete the marathon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. A year to train. Ah. Um, of course, once I start training, I'll probably find out my knees um, are not as enthusiastic about the prospect of running a marathon as I am. So it could be over before um, before I find out if I've got a place. But, um, but yeah, so there's a bit of running news for you. Do you have to pay to run it? You do. Uh, you have to pay to enter the ballot. Right. Uh, it's 40 quid. Oh. But, you know, it's for a good cause. Yeah, um, good, yeah. Obviously, lots of admin fees. 
Um, yeah, so I've applied through the main ballot and then also through a charity as well. What made you do that? Uh, need to get fit. Need to. <laughs> I need to do something. Yeah, but there's no uh, need to ruin yourself. <laughs> uh, and like I said, I like a, I like a challenge mm. and a, a project. Are you going to do some half marathons beforehand? Or are you well, just going to go straight for the full? I thought I'd start training about a week before. Yeah, that's um, a good idea. Um, and just see how it went. No, I'm I'm going to start training in a probably in a couple of weeks. <laughs> it's um, good to know you got it mapped out. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I've got to start right at the beginning. I've got to do good like a, a a nothing to five k training run first because I literally can't. I think if I ran now, I'd I'd be able to get to the shops over the road, and, and I'd need to sit down. <laughs> So it'll be a, it'll be a, it's an experiment into the uh, the physiology of a couch potato. Yeah, well, watch really. the space, eh? <laughs> yeah. Good luck. I think Thank you. I think it's 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 admirable. Yeah, it's not, and on that note, yeah. I'll open a beer. Oh, uh, go quite nicely with my painkillers. <clears throat> I'm having a uh, a can. I've taken your advice. I'm going for cans now. Ah, of, uh, beyond the pale. From the London Beer Factory. Um, have you got a drink this evening? I've got a glass of wine. Ooh. Trying. Uh, there's no. Well, there is one beer in the house, but I was going to save it for the pie. But I'm, shall I? Shall I crack it open? It's entirely up to you. Well, I went to this beer festival. Shall I? Well, it wasn't a beer festival. Beer, yeah, I, I, I said last time. So the can, the whole can v bottle debate. Yeah. So that week, I had an email from my uh, local brewery. Who's? They've also got a um, a little beer and wine shop in there, um, and they are total beer nerds. And um, it was a thing, sort of promoting can over over uh, over bottles. Hmm. Um, so uh, they, you know, it's only certain beers that suit cans better, but it's cheaper to can. I was talking to the guy. Why? Why is it? And um, it's cheaper to can, and anything chilled is much better kept in a in a can because okay. uh, obviously, as soon as something is see through, the light gets to it and it degrades yep. in time. Um, and so we we drank about. I, I think we had about eleven or twelve different beers. There was only little tiny tasters of each one, and uh, and then I I, I was um, and then my mate Nick, who lives next door to the brewery he's quite good friends with them. So he just sort of said, Oh, follow me. And went into the brewery and just helped himself <laughs> in the, in the bowels. He's like, Oh, it's all right. I rent a room upstairs where I've got, a, I've got a, all my gym stuff. And, uh, this is Nick, Nick, the plasterer. Yeah. Just helped himself to uh, a few sneaky beers. So, um, I got home very merry and, uh, Nick the plastered. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'd bought quite a lot of beer um, and quite a lot of very expensive <laughs> beer, because uh, one of the things they they uh, gave us was was cast conditioned beer, which I'd never had before. So they make the beer and then they f- and then they barrel age it in old barrels, um, much like you would whiskey, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I had a Chardonnay aged Belgian beer, which was amazing, yeah. absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I've got one here. I haven't tried it yet. It's called Weir and Wind, or Weir and Wind, and it's from Holland. <laughs> That you can tell by the accent, and it's bourbon barrel aged. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, uh, it's twelve point four percent. Why me? That is serious 
theory. Yes, it is. It? it is. Mine's just a, a normal 4.2, which is fine for me. Hang on a sec, my daughter's talk, talking. Listen. So That's she's so cute. So she's asleep then. <laughs> and I had to explain um, uh, evacuees to her, and she's only uh, two and a, you know, thruppence. How? How? Why? In one of her books, there's um, sort of like a timeline of history, and there's a load of kids all in evacuee, and she was, "What is war, Daddy? What is war?" Oh, the I big know. questions. Yeah. So I started to talk about Hitler uh, and realised that that was probably not the best time in her life to talk about. <laughs> She'd be very well informed when she goes to school. Uh, yeah, but um, it's good to have a, a good interest in those kind of things. So she knows n- now knows what they are, those little yeah. children. And then, and then she got very upset. She said she didn't want to leave her mummy and daddy. Oh. Yeah. Bless. So <laughs> she's still she's, going. Yeah, she's still singing. I apologise for that, but I am yeah, a, a single, single parent at the moment. Yeah, and um, we've hardly got into the show at all. It's already been 10 minutes of uh, me talking about beer. So anyway, yeah, so I should open this beer. It's even got a wax seal on the top of it. Blimey. Yeah, it was nearly 10 quid. You did tell me also you had one that was that had marmalade in it. Yeah, it didn't really. Good? It was very nice. It was very, uh, very hoppy. I find a lot of these, they all taste the same. They um, do a bit, don't they? Yeah. It's because of the hops. It's, it kills yeah. any other taste, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, but I had a really nice one from Cloud Cloud something or other. Cloud, Cloud Water? Yeah, something like that. Um, but it was a lager, but made with IPA oh. rather than um, ale sort of fermenting. Okay. Um, and that was really lovely. But yeah, I, I do find them all the same. Yeah, it was good. It didn't taste of oranges, though. Oh. Right, I'm going to open this one if I can get past the wax seal. <laughs> it's like something that would come out of a medieval basement right oh dear that smells like marmite is it quite a dark ale they usually are aren't they when they're that strong yeah i think it's you'd call this a barley wine wouldn't you at this percentage (laughs) i guess so remember barley wines yeah harvest gold was it called uh yeah maybe oh it smells a little bit like uh baby sick oh my goodness oh my goodness that is oh my god <laughs> That's a really strong, complex taste. So yeah, so it tastes like a bourbon, treacle, and stout. Wow, it's incredible, and tobacco maybe. Yeah, it, it's very strange, and I'm going to be absolutely bladdered by the end of this, aren't I? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really odd. Yeah, marmite. It's all I can taste. Marmite. Well, yeah, that wouldn't be one for me. <laughs> At nine pounds a bottle, it's not one for me. <laughs> no, not not what they call a session ale. Not really. I prefer yeah. I prefer normal beer, but that is very interesting. Anyway, I'll stop mm. winding on. I might have to treat myself to something more exotic next week. I feel outdone, <laughs> outbeard. Uh, so, what's uh, what's the rest of your week been like? I'll have Did to consult want- my notes. Oh my God, that child. Sorry. Yeah, what did I do? I went to London and I realised it was the first time I've been to London since the 7th of November. <laughs> wow. I know. So I really am a hermit. Oh, yeah. oh my God. I popped into the National Portrait Gallery. See, I've had one sip of this and I can't even speak. Um, and uh, yeah, 
wandered around there for five minutes. I quite like the uh, the National Portrait Gallery. It's quite um, it's quite a small gallery, isn't it? It's sort of lots of small galleries and you know not big kind of expansive spaces but it feels sort of quite intimate and friendly i think yeah it is and it's got great toilets so if you're (laughs) you don't want to pay 30p at waterloo and you can hold for a 10 minute walk you know 15 minute maybe just pop in the natural museum good good toilets in there yeah i might do a uh, museum toilet guide but it might get the wrong 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 impression I uh, went to a comic shop. Mm. Gosh. Gosh. I like gosh. Yeah, I'd never been in there. I've passed it many times. Um, I'm still totally intimidated about going into comic shops. I've kind of got over that. I'm just quite happy to go in and ask what ah. I'd recommend now. Ah. Yeah. No, that's something I'm working on in my therapy. Um, <laughs> and uh, brought back um, Noggin and the Moon Mouse. Right. Do you remember Noggin the Nog? Noggin the Nog. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's on the cusp of my uh, memory. So it turns out the Moon Mouse is, is actually the genesis of the of the Clangers. Ah, okay. If you're going to treat Noggin the Nog in the kind of same way that people who like Doctor Who yeah. <laughs> treat the timelines. Yeah. Um, it was an Oliver Puskett thing, wasn't it, Noggin the Nog? Yes, and Peter yeah. Furman. Yeah. Fabulous. So I've been reading that to Daughter this week. Lovely. Did you uh, purchase anything for yourself? Mm, yes, I did. I bought Moon Cop by Tom Gold, uh, cool. which is fabulous. Have you just been nominated for an Eisner? Has it? Yeah, which is, is the, the big comic award. <laughs> oh, right. Well, it's my kind of comic, uh, and he's my kind of uh, humour. Yeah, he's very clever. Um, and the drawing in it is exquisite. Um, talking of exquisite, another one I bought was uh, by a chap called John McNaught. Mm-hmm. Do you know him? No, I don't think so. Uh, he is an illustrator and his book's called Dockwood. Um, and I would say it's kind of in the uh, kind of Chris Ware kind of yeah. uh, Dan um, Clue sort of um, form of comic making. Um, and it's just about things going on in this town called Dockwood or Village. Yeah, um, cool. And, uh, and, and it's autumn time, but it's beautiful. It's... Um, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful book. I've been meaning to buy it for ages, but it was in there. It's a lot cheaper than the uh, postal cost. Yes. Um, it's uh, it's uh, free comic book day this weekend on <laughs> Saturday, I think. Yeah, Saturday. So you can uh, go and support your local comic shops, pick up a free copy, but obviously go buy lots of stuff as well. Oh, what? A free copy of what? I'm not sure. I don't know if... Uh, <laughs> Anything you like. Just help sure yourself. It, it depends on the comic shop. It's like the cu- the couple that I was reading in the news went on the uh, the all-inclusive to Rhodes and um, thought that that meant any restaurant on the island. Yeah. And what else? Yeah, I know. I've been wor- working really, really busy. Uh, family's busy. I've had a family wedding and I've done, did the photography for that uh, with my new camera. That was fun. Um, and what I've been doing, I've been doing a Shopify website refresh. I'm doing a brand refresh for a solar panel company. Um, I'm designing a concept for a container restaurant in London. A container um, restaurant? Yeah, made out of container. Oh, okay. That's uh, all the rage, apparently. Yeah, well, yeah, there's there's Box Park in Shoreditch, which is a, yes. kind of a shopping and eating place made out of containers, which is very cool. 
Yeah. Uh, French food labels for my French food company that I've been working mm-hmm. for. And I've been editing some videos for PowerPoint presentation. Uh, so you can't have it all. Wow. You are um, a polymath. <laughs> There's not much you're not doing, is there? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty full on, I have to say. That's good, though. It's good to have such a variety of stuff to it's work fantas- on. It's fantastic. I can't, you know, it goes, uh, it gets better and better. Um, I, I need more content, though, you know. I want to do more writing, more of that yeah. kind of stuff. Okay. But, yeah, I'm, I'm happy. Um, what have you been up to? Uh, I've been in Shoreditch, although because of bank holiday and teeth extraction, I've only been there for one day this week. I was there last week as well, and working on some commissions. So I managed to make a good some good headway on commissions over the past week or so and get those sent off. Got a few more come in. Actually, you talked to me a while ago about saying that I should try and get involved in kind of role-playing games and tabletop gaming stuff, perhaps doing illustrations for the games and manuals and things. And I've actually been contacted by someone who's making a sci-fi tabletop turn-based game who want me to do some illustrations for the manual in the box oh mate is, that's brilliant which is quite cool so yeah. I'm talking to them at the minute so I'll let you know how that goes fantastic but yeah I think that's pretty much it for the week you know the the, the tooth really has been on my mind all week um, so I'm, I'm glad that's out of the way back in Shoreditch tomorrow wedding at the weekend so kind of as you were yeah I'm looking forward to getting back to some routine yeah I hate being out of sync and we're meeting up next week yeah you oh remembered God. we're meeting yeah. up next week no I have yeah Tuesday night aren't we Tuesday night at the uh, <clears throat> the Royal Geographic Society um, for a talk by Paula Cher of Pentagram about the about, well I guess it's about her career but particularly about her book that unit editions have produced which looks fab. So that'll be good fun. Um, perhaps have a cheeky little beer afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds great. Cool. Marvellous. <clears throat> uh, so what have you seen in the news this week? Well, we've missed a couple of weeks. We've been very slack, haven't we, recently? Um, uh, what have I seen? I saw a brilliant Kickstarter. Let's let's start with Kickstarter because, you know, we, we never talk about while. that. Yeah. Um, a, a solar can. Um it's got uh, oh, it's it's been backed already. I've just seen because it wasn't when I saw it started. And um, basically, it's a unique camera designed to produce extreme time exposures that capture the sun's path through the sky over many months. And it's uh, a, okay. it's a can, so it's a like a camera obscura in a can. Um, and uh, it's got it wanted two and a half grand. It's got uh, nearly twenty grand and six hundred and sixty six backers. <laughs> <laughs> so somebody needs to go in there and back it um i don't know what they're asking for it but uh yeah it's great isn't it oh cool 12 I like quid sort of 12 quid uh, so these know, are the sort of things that right, give you it? like one picture over the course of a year don't they and it it shows the course the path of the sun is that the sort of thing that it is exactly yeah and it's yeah. just um so it's just got a bit of photographic paper inside and then it just tracks the um uh, the path of the sun in the side. Mm. So, um, yeah, 
Cool. Uh, it looks wicked. So yeah, great, great project. Um, I don't know anything about the the person who's started it. It's called Sam Cornwell, and um, congratulations for exceeding your goal by quite a long way. I hope you got your hope you got your canning your canning factory <laughs> running. They work much better in cans than in bottles. Those uh, yes, cans. yes, L- much like lager, mate. Yeah. Uh, creative review. Uh, industry magazine for design. Mine, mine thunked is, onto the onto the uh, the doorstep. Did it have the annual in it? Yeah, it's enormous. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the next issue, um, hour after the is that the May issue? Yeah. So uh, after that, it's going bi monthly. Um, I did think for a second that meant they were going to get two issues per month, but no, one issue every two months. <clears throat> um, well, I don't really know what to think about it. They say it's going to allow them to cover things in more depth. And one of the reasons they've decided to make the change is that although people are still looking forward to it and enjoy reading about design in physical format, that they don't always have time each month to pick up a magazine and read it. So creative review is going bi-monthly. So designers will only have to find time once every two months to pick it up and read it. Which I didn't really. That sounds like grasp. absolute rubbish, doesn't it? Because how does that? If it's double the size and every two months, it's going to have the same amount of content. It's yeah. not that. It's not that I can't find time to read it once a month. I can't find time to read it any time. You know, unless I've got like you know half an hour here or there that I <clears> have a quick flick through. Yeah. And if they're going to make the articles longer, it's going to make it even more difficult to read. I know. Yeah, um, I don't. But you know, I, I think it's a. I don't think it's, I don't know. I, I feel like, you know, I've paid a lot of money for uh, 12 months, 12, uh, 12 copies. I should be honoured the 12 copies, mm. however many pages it has. That's up to them how much advertising they sell, isn't it? Yeah, well, it, it mentioned, it, I'm reading the article on Creative Review's website about it. Um, and it said when they, in the mid-90s, a typical issue of Creative Review was 64 pages, more than half of which would have been advertising. And that's very, I haven't subscribed to it for quite a few years, and that's very much how I remember Creative Review. Just all the advertising and all the jobs at the back that we used to look through as kind of when we came out of college and stuff. Um, and now it's 90 pages, and they don't have nearly as much advertising, do they? And no. I think the last issue I looked at, I think it had one job advert in it. Right. Yeah, no, it doesn't have... Um, Which shows the way that market's changed. Um, I can see their dilemma. Um, yeah. But uh, I... Um, no, I, I wasn't upset by it at all. I think, you know, it's probably better as a... It, it actually feels more substantial, won't it? And it will feel more like a publication rather than a, an ephemeral magazine. And that yes. will do it good, I think, in, in terms of its brand. I think they've, they've you know, they knocked it out of the park with their website. It is such a great website. Yes, but if they can avoid, you know, sp- uh, spraying it with advertising like they mm. have done, then, you know, I'm happy to, I'm happy to have less, less copies. I'm not bothered. The quality yeah. is what it's all about, isn't it? The end of the Absolutely. Day. And if they become a little bit more diverse as well, you know, so they're looking for longer, longer form articles and maybe looking a bit more in depth. That Yeah, that's definitely an interesting <clears throat> aspect to it, I think. Yeah, more digital, I think, is where they could head towards because they, you know, mm. they've never really covered, covered that massively, have they? Uh, I don't know. I don't think the, the internet last time I subscribed. <laughs> Uh, what's your next bit of... Well, I'll carry on about moaning about subscription. <laughs> um, I got a real 
be in my bonnet about something. I use OS uh, Ordnance Survey. Uh, is yep. the UK uh, sort of well, it was government based, but I think it's an independent company now. Uh, I think they're based down in down, based in Southampton. Uh, produce these wonderful maps that everybody uses for walking around here. Mainly two ranges, um, and uh, one of them is a very detailed range um, for ideal for walking. Um, <clears throat> and everyone at school learns using. The ordnance survey system don't they They're all yep. the different icons and everything yeah i love it Youth big fan yeah uh yeah tumulus um and uh they had a brilliant app i, I really loved it it was um i don't know if you've ever used it but it's no, basically like just the grid base so all of uh, so all of the uk cut up into squares and then you could download uh one of two resolutions um of each grid so if you, you know, if I'm walking locally here, there's so much walking around here. I've got maybe a nine square grid of maps cool. sort of, um, and I can take that away with me. It's offline. I can block routes on it, you know, all that stuff. So I use it for running, not anymore, but no, I use it for running and walking the dog and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's great. I've bought those maps, each one downloaded them in good faith as a book, like mm-hmm. I would an album or yep. uh, anything like that. Um, so it turns out they re- they announced last week that they're retiring this app and bringing in a new app, which is going to have subscription-based model that you have to pay, I don't know what it is, six quid a month or whatever. Yeah. Um, and they are not going to update this map, but there's no way of upgrading your maps to the new version. So all the maps that people have bought and some people, you know, who are into hill walking and stuff have spent many hundreds of pounds transferring their paper maps into digital and now going to have an app that they've said, well, you know, it will be kept, it will keep working, but we're not going to update it. Well, how do they know that Apple aren't going or, you know, Android isn't going to introduce a, an update in the next two months that's going to break their yeah, app? Absolutely. Um, where is my digital content? I've paid for the digital content, not the app. Because I'm downloading things into it Um, and uh, having a big argument with them at the moment. Um, And I think it's an absolute disgrace. And uh, and I would um, encourage people to uh, to think about uh, getting involved in digital content if um, if it's in inside a walled garden. Yeah, um, so I assume you're not the only person who's annoyed about this. It oh like no, a- uh, the reviews on their on the app store for their old app uh, is just filled up now with just you know people complaining, giving process of how to get around it. But they they obviously they've they've consulted a PR firm and they're dealing with it in a kind of in a really um, stentorian way that you have to go through proper channels to get anything Mm -hmm. and they're not going to give anything to anybody but i don't see why they couldn't just take the amount of maps that i've spent and give me a subscription and take it off that and give me a credit a credit they say that they can't work out through apple store how much i've spent anyway that's that's a technical thing but i just think it you know you've got to think about if you're buying digital films or music um you know people like well companies like apple um you know they've gone the drm route so you can take that and store it elsewhere and play it on other players it doesn't really matter um but there was a time when you had to buy it and it was locked entirely to the apple store uh if that playing goes away what 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 are you going to do with your with your content you're not going to want to buy it again are you well i think that there is something isn't there that you don't actually own it anyway no it's, it's rented 
basically you've got you're kind of leasing the content for them until such a date as they decide you're not is that right I, th- I think in the f- I'm sure in the small print there's something like that I think it's with Apple I'd have to I'd yeah have we to don't into- we don't actually um, um, own any of it <clears throat> there's weirdly there's something similar going on in America with John Deere tractors have you heard about this no John Deere uh, I, I don't know I can't remember the exact details but something they update the firmware of their tractors and so there's something in the contract of when you buy these tractors that effectively you, you don't own them you, you you're kind of buying the right to use it um, and there's they've upgraded the firmware to for to change certain aspects of how they work and American farmers who own John Deere tractors are get going on the internet and getting firmware hacking software from Russian hackers so that they can use their tractors. Well, because they're being locked into yeah. upgrade path. Yeah. This yeah. is the future of vehicles, isn't it? Really? It's the future of everything. Yeah. Um, but it's where, you know, I think it's one of the most interesting debates we've had is the, you know, the, the digital midden kind of mm. t- talk of wh- where does all certainly stuff my mum's favorite. <laughs> Sorry, Mrs. Turpin. It's okay. I think she stopped listening. Um, oh, I can swear now. Yeah. <laughs> It'll all come out now. <laughs> Some sad news. Uh, Leo Baxendale has died. And I uh, couldn't, I didn't recognise the name when, uh, when I saw this in the news. But he was the creator of Minnie the Minx, Little Plum, and the Bash Street Kids for the Beano. Um, obviously, he went on to do much more after that founded i think it was one of the creators of wham Mag- uh, wham comic and all sorts of things but his particularly the bash street kids and the Beano, his art was a real thing in my childhood the way he drew these kind of big full page uh images of the bash street kids and there was always lots going on um kind of slightly sort of heath robinson contraptions and, and I, I put one in the I know a little document and it's uh, the Bash Street kid, the Bash Street kids and they're trying to scale this wall and there's all sorts of stuff going on. And, you know, someone's using a woodpecker with an armor plated beak to, to drill through this wall. Uh, there's someone going up with kind of sink plungers stuck to their feet. There's a hot air balloon with a Bash Street air force on it, carrying bombs of rotten eggs. Um, and as a kid, this, these sort of comics that he produced, these, images with all this detail and kind of a ama- just amazing imagery that repaired looking at again and again and again it was i just absolutely lapped it up um so it's really sad to see that he'd he'd die i think it was last week um in his mid 80s um and if you don't recognize the name it's well worth googling leo baxendale and just having a good look at at all that all the amazing stuff he's produced. Really beautiful work that was just some of the most memorable stuff from my childhood. Yeah, me too. The Bash Street Kids were my... Well, what made the Beano over, you know, for me, above all the other comics? Um, yeah, me too. Uh, I love I loved the forced perspective that he used to draw in and, um, and just the ultra-violence uh, that was always, yeah. <laughs> always threatening. Um yeah, I loved loved it. Um, I could probably still draw plug now. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love the fact that, you know, they had two colours to, you know, it's the black and the red. Um, yeah, it's that, that kind of half-tone colour that they used on the comics back then. Uh, it just has a real style to it, which is it's a bit like... Uh, it's a bit like the smell of my headmaster's office at primary school. It just instantly Brass, takes eh? me back being a kid. <laughs> no, mothballs. Sorry, that's a yeah, Derek Mr. and Sheriff. Clive reference. <laughs> Mr. Sheriff smell of mothballs. <laughs> um. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't go to um, posh school, so we didn't bother with Derek and Clive. Uh. <clears throat> well, sorry about that. <laughs> uh what else have you got for us john oh i got loads but um let's let's talk about piracy quickly um you bet okay. everyone chuck away your Kodi installs and your uh you know your xbox media centers or whatever that it was called before that uh illegal streaming in the uk is now yep. being threatened with a 10-year sentence of copyright sharing um i uh, probably you could probably find a couple of films on my hard drive, but uh, to be honest, I I hate piracy because um, I'm a real stickler for a good picture, and uh, if anything's got um, any kind of subtitles or fuzziness or anything like that, or even like an icon of where it's been recorded off another network, I just can't. I can't even watch it. So uh, yeah, so I'm not I, I'm not into I'm not, that stuff. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not so desperate to see films that I want to um, kind of stiff the creators. You know, I'm not. I've never create, done it with. I've create, never. I've never done it. I'm, stuff is difficult. Are we, are we being moral high horses here? But I've never done it with music either. I've always no, bought, I you know, if I like the music, I'll buy the music, and that, that's it. But um, so yeah, yeah so I, I'm back. I'm back in that one. Um, but yeah, if you have got your uh, your Cody, then uh, I would be very careful because they are tracking. Um, yes, I've seen and, a few scared people online about this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Cody is like a streaming service, isn't it? A bit like Napster used to be. Uh, well, no, it's not. It it's like a it's like a, a multimedia thing that you can sort of upload to your. Um, you can convert your Apple TV or, or whatever it is to uh, to to run this software. They, yeah, then, and it, they, it doesn't then get gives you access access to streams, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't provide the streams itself. It just points you to where they might be. I think is that mm-hmm. yeah okay yeah. Bad Cody. Bad Cody. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, very much enjoying the um, the Amazon Fire Stick. Oh, it's good. absolutely fabulous. Um, yeah. The voice search on it is brilliant. Um, it's got loads of good content. And does it uh, recognise Kitty's voice? Has she been? She's done. We've done Paw Patrol with it, and it recognised it. Found it. Uh, that's but sweet. It's, uh, she's only doing Paw Patrol. That's all we all we ever bloody watch. um i watched on your recommendation hannibal oh yeah what did you think superb yeah yeah i thought it it tailed off ever so slightly in the last couple of episodes but um yeah i thought it was brilliant really stylish um and clever stuff and yes gory yeah well i started the second season and uh my wife asked me to turn it off because it was so disgusting uh is the second season on netflix no, I bought it uh, uh, after I came back from the beer tasting. <laughs> 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 and I'd already spent 40 quid on beer. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and something else I started watching this week, there's only one, one episode out, is American Gods. Yes, I watched the, it too. What did you think? Uh, I, was, I thought it was a mess. A visual, <laughs> visually beautiful, yeah, but, well, but a mess. It is a mess, but I haven't read the book for a couple of years, and it is one of my favourite books, but I remember getting halfway through the book before I had a clue what was going on. Yeah. So uh, in, in that respect, it's quite true to the yeah, source. Yeah, I'm not criticising. Yeah, and I'm saying, and, and did you watch any of Preacher? Because that was similar. They took yes. me through halfway through an episode, but I was like, what is going on here? And yeah. then suddenly, bang, it went into focus. And uh, I think that American Gods went into focus five minutes from the end. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some great uh, scenery chewing going on by Lovejoy. He's good, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Um, I love, um, I love, I love the graphics. For it. I'm not sure about the titles. I think they're very slow paced and not quite, uh, <sighs> there's not enough of that European styling to them. It's very American feeling. Oh, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I and I would have thought it could have been, could have been a lot more, um, a lot more Gothic and, uh, mm. and, and cryptic than you know, just to get that sense because the whole thing's played out in a modern American society. So yeah. it would have given it a good contrast, but I can see, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, the, uh, it's basically like a pan out on a, a kind of like a totem pole of, of all sorts of, uh, American style, um, you know, diner iconography and it's uh, sort of neon and stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, it's beautifully done. Yeah. But, but uh, yeah, yeah I felt mean. it was it was very it was all over the place. Mm. Um, but yeah, I look forward to uh, episode two. I'm a big fan of uh, of the author. Yes, me too. <clears throat> I'm reading two of his books at the moment. Are you? Uh, I got. Not, I got. I, yeah, I got given that for my birthday, and um, my wife bought me his. I can't remember what the book's called, but it's basically a collection of his um, sort of you know his serious writing, okay. uh, nonfiction. Yeah, yeah, I like him a lot. Um, I'm just going to throw in one last bit of news before we get onto our main topic. We've talked about maps an awful lot on this podcast over the past few months, and there's a great thing that uh, Eric Van Blockland, the topographer designer, tweeted uh, from xkcd.com, which is that kind of comicy science website. All right. Um, and it's a guide to figuring out the age of an undated world map. And it's one of those flow charts. So you start and it's Istanbul or Constantinople. And then you <laughs> follow the arrows. Um, and I'd say three quarters of this flow chart is really good and uh, clever and useful. So it's how many sedans are there? One, 2007 to 2011. Two. And then you go on to, is Crimea disputed? And, it, you know, it takes you on to the years. But then you get to something that says, Rivers, Syrian or Anduin? Yes. Mordor? No. Beleriand? Numenor? Or um, uh, is the world on the back of a turtle? Yes. Discworld? No. Are you sure this is a map? Yes. Did you make it yourself? Yes. It's very nice. Thank you. That <laughs> um, is brilliant. It's really, really cool. So it's it's handy and very funny. And and who who draws that? Uh, it's the people at xkcd.com. Mm. Love it. Yeah. 
yeah, so should we get on to our main topic? 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 Yeah. We've Which is go- process- We've been going 45 minutes already. <laughs> We're meant to be cutting down the length of this. I know, but it's been a while, hasn't it? Yeah, and I, I've we thoroughly some- enjoyed those news. I could carry on with the news. There's, lo- there's loads of good stuff there. But we'll, we should we'll, do that for one week. Yeah, let's just pass them over to, to next week. Yeah. So what's uh, our main discussion today, then? Well, Rob? it's process versus creativity. Right. Discuss. And I'll be honest, I came into this topic thinking you can't replace creativity uh, purely through process. And I think thinking about it and I've written a bit and read a bit and now I'm I'm of the opinion that actually pure creativity is something that perhaps doesn't exist except in the in the kind of I don't know out there sorry there's a big plane going on that is a big plane yeah um so I, I've I've come to this conclusion well in my own mind that there really isn't kind of a pure creativity you know, it's a combination of lots of different things, whether that's process, experience, um, knowledge, research. So are, um, you do, are you doing a John Ellerman thing here and questioning the question? I think so. Mm-hmm. I thought it was going to be a straight fight between process and creativity, but yeah, um, I'm not sure it is. I mean, it's difficult because... Is that what we wrote as a title? We did, yeah. All right. uh, you have to define what creativity is first don't you i mean it's just you know it's uh, uh description is uh, creativity is a phenomenon whereby something new and somehow valuable is formed uh, the use of imagination or original ideas to create something inventiveness um and even reading that it's it's a, a vague thing isn't it yeah <laughs> and I think there are probably lots when people talk about creativity there are lots of different types of creativity there's creativity in our industry is seen as something that designers possess uh, and something that they express but you, know, you talk to a lot of people and they say oh I've got a creative friend they paint terracotta plant pots or you know they like making they, they do needlework and that's a type of creativity, but I think in some respects it's saying someone is creative for doing those kind of things. It's, it's just a shortcut for saying people are interested in craft. Well, I, I took it to one, one nth degree past that and say that they are, they are uh, slightly mentally damaged. <laughs> <laughs> the creatives in the special room. Um, well, there was an, there was an awful thing going on the internet this week. Uh, which was a, like a slideshow of how normal people and creative people see the world. And it was a hideously produced series of cartoons. And it would show like a normal person on the left, perhaps on the telephone, and then a creative person on the right, on the telephone, with a sketch pad, drawing unicorns with a rainbow behind them. Uh, and the whole thing was, was repulsive and nauseating. But it kind of is a bit like that, isn't it? People do think that creative people see the world in a different way. And I'm not sure that's that's right, is it? Not not really. Um, <laughs> no, is your I don't, life not, full of unicorns? No, not really. Um, but I, I wouldn't say... <clears throat> I wouldn't say I'm a particularly creative person, although I work in creative industries. Um, 
I yeah, uh, but then you know that's a that's a that's a problem that takes us back to the self doubt thing, isn't it? Um, I, I I think the first I, I tried not to read other people's opinions on this. I tried to think about it from my own point of view because mm. um, I found that recently I've been talking to a sort of imaginary person on on the podcast rather than having a chat with you, which I think is kind of gets away from our original concept of what the podcast is. So yep. I'm really trying hard when I write, when I do some research, if and when, um, to just sit there on my own without any kind of, uh, it's really easy to just buzz off to, uh, to, uh, the internet, isn't it? And yep. get some facts or even books or whatever. I did a lot of books on typography last week. I did hardly any, any internet, which is strange, but, um, and the first sentence I wrote is, um, the closer your process gets to the original vision of your creativity, the more successful you are in producing the work you set out to do. Um, so I immediately, but doesn't, doesn't creativity come before the vision? Uh, isn't the vision a result of the creativity? Well, that's what I'm saying. I'm agreeing with you, and I'm saying that that there is the, that this tension between process and cre- creativity is necessary to produce work that um, gets you to a commercial vision, doesn't it, for okay. your client? Um, but the process bit is less so, less important. The more you get away from. Um, an end goal for somebody else. Is that no? Is that or are they? Uh, or are they two such? So that was the first, that was just the first the first sentence. I, I thought yeah. that was quite pithy, but it turns out it wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. But I, it's. I think this is this is that difficult thing about it. what is creativity. Uh, as my pie arrives, creeping behind you. Does yes, thank you, dear. Hello, Steph. John says hi. Hello. There you go. Um, it's about what is creativity? Is it the way you approach something? Is it just something that happens in the, you know, the blink of an eye or the click of a finger? Or is it something that you have to nurture and and feed and kind of squeeze into being? <laughs> um, like a cow's teat, you mean? Yes. Let's discuss the unpasteurized <laughs> nature of creativity. Uh, is it best when it's fresh? <laughs> well, let's get back to. So, process is. What's the difference between process and creativity? Then Let, let's let's go to basics. Well, you have to talk about what's the difference between process and mythical creativity. I think. Yeah, because I'm not, as I said, I'm not sure it exists. I mean, process would be um, research and the way you approach a brief, um, the way you approach your first thoughts on on a brief. You know, you've you've read it, you've researched it. Then what do you do next? That's part of your process. It's whether or not you know you work entirely analog in pencil on paper, or whether your first thought is is about typography. Um, that's a there's a whole process there. And and what is the what is the end 
uh, what's your kind of end goal of that process? It's to create something. So is the end process uh, an object or a, a, a physical thing or a, a design, or is that process simply to kind of unleash your creativity? Um, and then it's your creative mind, your creativity goes to work on all that uh, kind of background work you've just done mm. into into the, the the actual act of creating or designing or illustrating. Well, what's that chap that you uh, wrote about in your notes? Um, because yeah, so his, his five steps are um, are, are sort of um, emblematic of that of, of yeah, that approach. So a guy called James Webb Young, who was an advertising executive in uh, America, I think, in the 1940s, and wrote a book called A Technique for Producing Ideas. Um, and he's, he, you can kind of condense a lot of it into these his five steps, which was gather new material. At first, you learn. During this stage, you focus on learning specific material directly related to your task and learning general material but by becoming fascinated with a wide range of concepts. And that's incredibly important. You know, that's the whole thing about soaking up everything around you, never stopping being curious and having a uh, um, kind of a, a need to to know. Um, well, the second step is thoroughly work over the materials in your mind. During this stage, you examine what you've learned by looking at the facts from different angles and experimenting with fitting various ideas together. And I guess that's... Uh, that's part kind of interpreting the brief and part making sense of that initial stage of research, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, I like step three. Step three, step away from the problem. Next, you put the problem completely out of your mind and go do something else that excites you and energizes you. Very good at that one. Uh, <laughs> step four. Uh, I, use, I use that all the time in the... Uh... Uh, no, that sounds really, really rubbish, doesn't it? It sounds like a very zen approach to, uh, to creativity, but it, wow, it works. Uh, it worked yeah. for me today. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I always, if I've, if I'm doing some work, I will work around it rather than doing it and then, um, come back to it in a couple yeah. of hours. Now, that's also one of the benefits like you have at the minute, if you've got plenty of different, uh, plenty of variety in the work that you do. So you can, you can switch off kind of that side of things and and work on something completely different and then come back to it yeah i can go for a run which is obviously what i'll be doing in the future <laughs> uh step uh four was let your idea return to you at some point but only after you have stopped thinking about it your idea will come back to you with a flash of insight and renewed energy <laughs> you hope you hope i'm yeah. not sure about that one but yeah no it does it does come back to you um yeah definitely you can't work on something you know, you can't come up with an idea and just expect it to pop into your mind. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. But you've it's got very to, rare you, that you, you've got you to pressure up. it, though, because if you're working under uh, commercial pressure, um, you've got to make a decision about curating your thoughts into is this, you know, how much time do I have left? Which ideas have I got on the table? Which ones can I present rather than? I'm just going to sit here for another four months <laughs> yeah. like a guru. That's it. <laughs> my beard grows. Hey, yeah. Where are you going? <laughs> I'm, going I'm going to wander around India. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure there, uh, are, there are creative directors who have done that, aren't there? Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, and his last of his five steps was shape and develop your idea based on feedback. For any idea to succeed, you must release it out into the world, submit it to criticism and adapt it as needed. Um, 
and that one, uh, I guess that kind of works in most examples. I think that's where a lot of work stops. Um, we're getting yeah. Well, you're a, a big diff- fan of this, aren't you? Of uh, kind of in your web it's iteration. Work. Yeah, I think um, a lot of clients are really afraid of that. That, that once they've set something in ice um, <laughs> or stone or whatever, you know, ice is a bad, <laughs> bad, <laughs> bad metaphor there. But um, I think once they've set something in stone, they're very uh, fearful of changing it. Um, they're very, uh, they're normally very, very conservative. So if you get a client who is um, predisposed to uh, iteration and change um, and to allow you to, just to get on with it, then that's great um, because you will improve on things. You'll come back, measure. Um, uh, and I think that sort of jumps onto, I don't think you haven't got through all your points yet. Um, so I will yeah, that come, was, that was, that was his all right. So come back to this, but the, 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 dis- the discussion that's been going on over the last few years about process for design has mainly been in the web sphere Um and it's about uh, data-driven design versus creative uh, design. And the process-driven uh, design, mainly fostered by UX um, designers, uh, who are often not even designers, um, would use data to drive every single decision-making process in the design process. Uh, it's something that I fundamentally oppose. I, I totally appreciate the fact that you would use data to uh, make a decision on whether a certain text for a button works or certain, uh, you know, the way an e-commerce process might work. But you cannot do that on a creative thought or a creative campaign or an idea you it just doesn't work um, yeah it's not gonna it's, you, you can't produce a, a data-driven slogan can you no you can't um you just have to look at uh what was it their uh their funny little bot maker oh asbury maker, and asbury asbury and asbury's little yeah. bot maker um that it just comes up with utter utter bilge good bilge yeah. but utter bilge <laughs> good believable bilge <laughs> Um, uh so yeah so my my questions when i wrote when i uh did notes through this uh were is, is there a tension between the two and i think that obviously is and is that exposed to your client um i would say yes definitely because process they see is really really boring and something they don't want to get involved in generally um and the creative bit is the magic bit that they just leave you to get on with hey you guys you know you you're creatives you know, yep. you just you just get on with that. Um, uh, can one exist without the other? I think in a commercial sense, no. But in art, yeah, why not? Um, but I think if the art is funded by or is is supported by money, so therefore it's success. in a commercial world, a successful artist would need money, wouldn't they? I mean, yeah. Damien Hirst didn't produce his latest thing in Venice that cost him 50 million quid without selling a few paintings first. Yep. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, that's needed in the art world as much as it is in the design world. Is that the same? Do you think in illustration? Um, yeah, I think so. I think you can, you know, if you're, a, if you've been paid to draw pictures for someone for a specific purpose, you know, you can't afford just to let your mind, wander and do whatever you want, you know, and come up with something that's only um, very vaguely related to what the, the brief was, you know. Um, you have to kind of control your output and 
shape it as as you've been directed. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a fine artist, then you know, and you're a trustafarian, then you can just you can just create as as you see fit. Yeah, um, I think that the the creative thing is is laden with hypocrisy. The way that as designers or illustrators, particularly in de- in design, we do and don't like to be labelled as creative. I think if people ignore the creative aspect or the aspect of a design that we think is unique to to us and you know something that we alone could have brought to that project if that's ignored because they think um perhaps it's been a simple process then we get upset and similarly if a client thinks that uh oh you're creative you can just do this we get upset because they're not recognizing the the experience that we've got and the years of work that we've had to put in and the effort and process that's going to go into creating that solution for them. Um, so we, in some respects, we perpetuate this thing about creativity being a, a magical thing. And in other respects, we kind of push it away and say, well, you know, don't label us as being creative. This is bloody hard work. Um, so it's, there's a weird, balance in the industry there i think yeah we yeah we like to have our cake and and eat it don't we, we do. um yeah i got that one is uh is, is it an invented you know is the magical nature of creativity um uh an invented process uh, is it mysterious because that helps us add value to it um you don't get charged by a plumber to do the design of your pipe work do you <laughs> or you know the fact that they did a fantastic way of re replumbing your house yeah is that a, that's a bad analogy i'm I'm full of them today um but you you don't you don't go through that creative process with an electrician or a plumber or any, anyone like that in your house but they're still doing a task aren't they and um yeah, they're still solv- solving solving problems. problems um and i think that fundamentally that's what designers should be doing um another thing i'd written in my notes was you know i've had a lot of way better designers work you know in my studio with me um but one thing that i've had to point point out to them and sort of guide them through is the fact that what they're doing is commercial um and and often they have no idea they come out of college with absolutely no idea even though they've probably learned you know they've learned more than i have ever yeah. in uh, in terms of process and briefs and all that kind of stuff but they have absolutely no connection between making money or being profitable and uh and making creative work um that hits the brief makes money for the client and makes them come back and use you again um and I sound really, really cold-hearted to talk about this, uh, but I am talking, you know, purely from graphic design. Uh, this isn't anything to do with, uh, you know, creating stuff for your own pleasure or or pushing boundaries or anything like that. But the day-to-day treadmill of studio life. Uh, yeah, you're getting and, paid to produce something. Yeah, um, like you said, with your what was your thing about um, uh, fashion studio that you, that you've worked for? Oh. Yeah, you know, we talk about a creative process, and I've said that 
you can have a creative process. It doesn't necessarily result in a particularly creative end product because if you're working in design for retail, there's this process twice a year for seasonal launches. Um, and around that, the stuff that you deliver and the process in the studio will all be very, very similar. You'll deliver the same end products. You go through the same process in the studio to produce those end products. And the only thing that will be different will be the pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've got you know, a creative process within the studio, but it doesn't result in something that's particularly creative. But that's, that's just part of being a graphic designer. But what's you know, amazing? constraints to what you do. What's amazing is thinking back when, when we used to do, we used to work for whistles and, uh, uh, yeah, some, some uh, Joseph, we did some bits for, but when you're working for those kind of companies, you get such fantastic photography and yeah. great minimal copy that the designs you do are accepted, you know, as sort of artistic endeavors, almost, you know, you do little yeah. books and things like that. They're probably the easiest things I've ever done in terms of design yeah. and then you get um you know a floor plan for a <laughs> like a small housing estate and it's utter pain and uh and turmoil to get you know the copy and all the floor plans yeah. together and the maps and the 3d and all that kind of stuff but actually there's there's more creativity in the lookbook that you've done for the fashion thing that took you an afternoon <laughs> that you've charged an absolute fortune for uh than the brochure that you've done for uh for the uh, for the housing people, but yeah. there's more kudos in the fashion thing, so there's more people going for that work. So it's harder to get a hold of it. Um, so you know, ninety percent of designers will be doing the kind of floor plans and the, yeah, all those bits and bobs. Well, that's almost a, a, an example of like uh, different types of creativity again, isn't it? You know, there's the kind of big obvious visual creativity yeah. that would be associated with a, a a thing for a fashion lookbook. Yeah, I think. I'm, but then I'm there's all those. There's all those little bits of creativity that no one sees or appreciates, which is, you know, might give you uh, a real thrill when you solve a particular problem in a nice creative way. But no one else is going to see that, you know, you spent four hours trying to work out how to make the bullet points sit in a particular way or, you know. Exactly, yeah. So we, we could do an entire show on all the different definitions of creativity. No, that's a brilliant one. Or, or, the, or the really tiny little detailed things that you do that nobody would ever yeah. notice. Um, yeah. I wrote down after last week's episode talking about typography, which I really enjoyed doing. Um, yeah, it was good fun. Uh, I was looking up where the word pilcrow came from. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find out what it was, but I stumbled upon the Smithsonian Magazine website. And uh, I'm guessing that's the Smithsonian Museum in Washington. Um, and there was a quote in there that said, as Emile Zola wrote, one forges one's style on the terrible anvil of daily deadlines. The artist is nothing without the gift, but the gift is nothing without work. Well, and yeah, we could have we could have saved the last 25 minutes and just said that. Exactly. That's good. Isn't that, that fantastic? Yeah. Good quote. Um. And the other one I wanted to draw our attention to was what I thought was a good analogy, but you're going to tell me is absolutely awful, was um, mm. going back to my medieval, <laughs> was the word misericord. Do you know what that is? Uh, I do, but I ne- do you know, I never really knew how to pronounce it. Ah, right. I think I always called it misericord. Well, I think I'm sure you can. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Um, but uh, the... Um, I think it really exemplified. I was trying to think of a thing that going back in time that really 
exemplified the tension or the um, the, the contrast between process, i.e. Mm-hmm. the skill of doing something, and creativity, i.e. the kind of expression, the self-expression or the artistic expression of what you're trying to do. Um, and the misericord w- was, um, for uh, two or three hundred years, was a really important part of a... Um, church uh, in terms of it was the underneath of a seat so when you had to stand for prayer um, you would flip the seat up and underneath was a tiny little wooden bench um, much like early mcdonald's uh, <laughs> mcdonald's um, restaurants in the uk used to have this weird benching system that yeah were kind of like s- sort of semi-seating so it looked like you're standing but you're sitting on a tiny little wooden um plinth kind of like a bus stop seat yeah but underneath that were little carvings and they might have been pertained to the person sitting above it or they might have just been the carver's whim on the day so yeah. you have a perfect row of plain seating but when they're flipped up every single seat is different um and some of them are really rude some of them are religious some of them are uh, just you know natural you know a pig or a chicken or whatever and it's kind of you've got the sense of the carver um working on this beautiful uh church and the only way they can express their own individual creativity um off brief uh, is to hide it underneath the seat yeah um, and whether that was uh, commissioned by a client and paid for, um, which some obviously were because they would have their coat of arms or whatever yeah, they yeah. did as a business or whatever, like, um, or whether it was just, you know, uh, they just wanted to make something rude and hide it away from the um, religious eyes. Uh, I think it's a perfect example of, of that kind of that juxtaposition between process and creativity. Absolutely. Gargoyles, I guess, on cathedrals would be yes. a similar sort of thing, wouldn't they? It's weird, isn't it? Because the higher you get to God, I mean, you know, the medieval God was yep. at the top of a spire, which is why the spires yep. went so high. And the higher you get, the more um, vernacular and the more, um, uh, uh, I don't know, venal that yes. the, the artist became. Because the, right up the top, some of them are absolutely filthy. They are. <laughs> we should have a uh, talking about the carving of a misericord. We should have. We should make sure we include Grinling Gibbons at some point. What's uh, that? In one of our. He was a, a medieval woodcarver. Oh, I know nothing about so, it. Absolutely beautiful work. Oh wow, Grinling Gibbons. Yeah, Grinling Gibbons. Great oh. name, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So we'll uh, we'll bring him into the North v South fold at some point. Brilliant. Um, well, yeah. let's. Should we, should I think we, that was a good a good thing to end on. I yeah. Think. You happy with that? I think so. Yeah, I enjoyed that. <laughs> uh, website of the week. Yes. Uh, I'm going to read mine out verbatim because I think it made you laugh. Laugh <laughs> and horror. Yes, go for it. Feeling down about the state of the world. Then get some perspective on your likelihood of survival with this interactive guide to what happens when a 300 megaton Russian ICBM explodes over your sleepy market town. Press the detonate button and swig back the Prozac. Simply visit (laughs) nuclearsecrecy.com forward slash nuke map. This is the most depressing (laughs) website of the week ever. I'm obsessed with uh, 
dystopian stuff at the moment. Well, it doesn't get much more dystopian than this. Yeah. So you can basically, you can uh, choose from a menu of famous, uh, well, <laughs> infamous megatonnage bombs throughout history um, and uh, choose a point that you want to explode at and height, um, wind, velocity, whatever you want, and then press the detonate button and it will work out the... Um, the Casualty uh, list. The casualty list. <laughs> and, and also the spread of radiation. Yeah. Um, and if you think that's just one out of a, you know, I think how many warheads? 1,760 uh, active nuclear weapons Russia has. Right. But in one Trident missile, how many are there warheads? Is there 12 or yeah. 24? So uh, each of them are something like, I don't know, uh, 30 megatons or whatever. They're, they're enormous. Way, way bigger than Hiroshima. So nine, so 12 of those landing in one place. Yes. Um, the survival rate is going to be pretty low. Think of all our listeners. Yeah. Uh, so I apologize for that. Yeah. Uh, mine is an, uh, much more <laughs> light-hearted. Uh, it's an Instagram account called Corners of Dublin. Uh, and I don't actually know who's responsible for this. Uh, Peter. Peter is responsible for this. There can't be that, uh, ma- that many coroners in Dublin. <laughs> coroners. Ah, coroners. Um, so it's photographs of shops and buildings in Dublin, and their strip back, so everything else is gone. So all the rest of the street, the background, the roads, everything is gone, just replaced with a black background. And they look like little beautiful little models. And I think they're gorgeous. And that's yeah. all there is to it. Really beautiful photographs of buildings, usually slot of slightly decaying buildings in Dublin against the black background, uh, which look sounds like nothing, but is really worth having a look at. It's fab. Uh, yeah, I think they they look they look like that Vermeer building that um yes because uh, they've got that black the art one. yeah they've got the black board around it which somehow just uh, the little street I think it was called mm. um, somehow just makes it. F- I don't know. It feels 3D, doesn't it? Yeah, it's really, really odd. <clears throat> it must be pie time now. Yeah. Uh, we've both gone Sainsbury's Taste the Difference. Oh, have we? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I had one in the freezer, but it looks like, you know, something that I might eat if that um, that Russian ICBM hits. <laughs> At least you won't need to put it in the microwave. For... What's your flavour? I've got... Uh, Sainsbury's Taste the Difference, Chicken and Porcini Mushroom. Oh, I saw that one on the end. So it's uh, chicken and kind of a cream sauce, Porcini Mushrooms, uh, short crust pastry pie, but with a puff pastry lid. Uh, Smells good. And it's covered in little um, poppy seeds, I think. So I'll just bear with me because I can't chew very well. That's pretty good. I think it probably needs a tiny bit of seasoning. Yeah. But it's nice. The pastry's good. Um, it's nice and moist as well. Um, yeah, I like porcini mushrooms. Quite a distinct flavour. It's just pretty good. It tastes a bit like uh, mushroom soup with chicken in it. Oh. Which, which is acceptable, I guess. Yeah. Um, I've got exactly the same, but mine's um, chicken and ham puff pastry mm. pie. I don't think it's got short crust pastry on it. Um, well, it's not puff pastry, is it, on no, the sides? No, it's not. Um, <coughs> yeah, mine tastes like chicken soup in a... It's it's not great. Yeah. I can't taste any ham. 
Mine just needs seasoning, I think. It's also got that weird shop-bought taste. Mm. Like, um, you know, aeroplane food. Well, I wouldn't say this was that bad. Mine gets a 6.2. Uh, oh, God. Um, Are you annoyed because you were going to give yours 6.2? I'm going to give mine 5. 5. Okay. 0.0. Yeah, and I've long since finished my beer. Oh, I've only got... Mine's made me so drunk um, <laughs> that uh, I shouldn't be left in on the house charge on my own in charge with a child and a dog. She sounds like she's gone to sleep anyway. Yeah, she stopped singing. Thank God. Cool. But she'll be up in uh, in ten minutes or so. Now I'm going to go and watch. I'm going to go and watch uh, some sci-fi because my wife's not here. I'm uh, I'm allowed to watch sci-fi. What are you going to so, watch? Well, I might watch um, uh, Rogue Trader, um, the <laughs> uh, the insider dealing of Star Wars. Yeah, it's good. I enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah. Or should I watch the what's the one you're talking about? That's um, uh, a new one. Um, that's kind of a mysterious sci-fi one on a spaceship. Did Arrival? it have Amy Adams in it? Arrival. Yeah. Is that good? It is good. Yeah. That it's... one or Rogue Amoeba? Well, Rogue One is more entertaining. Arrival right. is more interesting. Ah. Arrival is like sci-fi. It's like Close Encounters of the Third Kind, directed by Terence Malick. Right, I'm there. Okay. Yes. Right, go watch that, finish your pie, and I'll talk to you soon. Yeah, I hope you feel better, mate. Thank you. Best of luck with the wedding, and send my love to Steph. Cheers. Dear sir, talk to you soon. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye.